If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, I'm Brenda, and I'm Julia, and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today we have on Jordan Syatt. Jordan is one of the industry's leading experts in strength training, nutrition, and behavioral psychology. He's the founder of Jordan Syatt Fitness, and he's one of the only people in the world to deadlift four times his own body weight. Oh my God. And just happens to be Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer, so like no big deal at all. He's very low key. And I heard he's a little bit of a Harry Potter nerd, which does really well in my book. So... (laughs) (laughs) We're happy to have you, Jordan. Welcome to the show. I'm stoked to be here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Jordan, tell us uh, about you. Who are you? Where are you from? And how old are you, if you don't mind saying? Yeah. No, I'm 29 years old. Uh, I grew up in Boston, and uh, now I live in New York City. I coached Gary for three years, seven days a week for three years straight. And uh, yeah, live in New York, do a lot of online coaching and Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, podcast, all that stuff. Awesome. So awesome, Jordan. This is going to be a great interview. So everybody get get along here for, for the ride. So I guess we could just jump right into it. You created your fitness coaching business from your bedroom in college. So what kind of led you to wanting to do this? And how have you used social media to grow your business? So I'll start, I got into fitness when I was eight years old, because I started wrestling at eight. So I started wrestling at eight years old. And I was obsessed with it. It's all I thought about. It's all I wanted to do. And um, I ended up making varsity as a freshman in high school. We had a junior out for the varsity spot, but I had to cut a lot of weight. So I was cutting from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week. And I was 14 years old, but I was going up against guys who were 17 and 18 years old. So my strength wasn't where it needed to be. So um, I basically applied to a gym nearby. I was like, I just let me let me take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Let me just work for you so I can learn from you. And uh, I started coaching people at 14 years old and I fell in love with coaching. My first client was a 68 year old guy named Fred. He just wanted to be able to uh, pick his grandson up without hurting his shoulders. So uh Fell in love with coaching. And then after high school, actually, I moved to Israel for a year, lived in Israel and volunteered with Holocaust survivors. And it was an amazing year. Wow, cool. And then when I moved back to the States, I started competitively powerlifting in my, in my university. And um, basically, I was invited to train at 
the world's best powerlifting gym. It's called Westside Barbell. And when I was there, I started my website and I just started writing articles about what I was doing, my training, my nutrition. I did not know that a business was possible. I think it's probably the most important thing to understand. Like I didn't know I could make money online. I had no idea. It was uh, July of 2011. So it was nine years ago now. And uh, I was just writing articles about what I was doing training wise, making YouTube videos about my, my training, my nutrition. And people would reach out and ask me to write their programs and I would do it for free because I, I didn't know that I could charge or that I should charge. <laughs> and, uh, and then I remember my, randomly uh, after like a year, year and a half, a woman from Brazil reached out and she was like, how much do you charge for online coaching? And I was like, I don't know, $300. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like, uh, all right, cool. How do I pay you? And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, pre, pre Venmo probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Venmo didn't exist. Instagram didn't exist. So I got a PayPal and, and I coached her and it was amazing. And so that was the start of my wow. online business. And then from there, I just kept posting and posting and posting on first. It was my website and Facebook and YouTube and then Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and podcasts and everything as it kept coming out. I love that. Amazing. So cool. It just goes to show it's like you have to just kind of follow your intuition and like do the work every day. And it's not going to be a full-blown business day of. Like it takes At all. Exactly. Time. Yeah. It takes so, years. You know, yeah. I've been doing this for literally July of 2011 is when I started. So it's been nine years now. And I mean, I think my major benefit was not knowing that a business was possible because I think a lot like right now people want to start working online because they think it's easy money and mm -hmm. they expect to start making yeah. money very, very fast. Mm -hmm. So they put a lot of time and effort into podcasting or Instagram or whatever, and they're not making money and they think they're failing or it's not working when the reality is it is. You just have to keep doing it for another three years mm -hmm. before you start to get traction. So it's like, it's just work hard every day and understand and have the patience to know that you probably won't see the benefits of what you do today for another couple of years. Yeah. yeah. And you have to like it enough to do it every day. Like, obviously you loved it. You were doing it for free. So right. if you're doing something just to make money and you don't actually have like a passion, you're going to burn out really fast. That's Definitely. right. That's, that's the distinction to make is there's nothing wrong with making money. Making money is totally fine. Right. The issue is when you're doing something solely to make money that you might not even love, now we have an issue and that's where you're going to burn out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a big distinction too with people is kind of having that because it's it's not easy, right? If to, to feel disappointed, to feel like there's, you know, that that there you, you could feel like you could be further ahead or whatever it is, but having that perseverance to stick through because you love it and because you have that self-belief that the project is worth it or any of those things. We also, Ju, I don't know if you, well, you obviously remember, but we had someone on a couple of weeks ago and she was saying, start doing the job before you have the title. And we were both like, whoa. <laughs> um, my because, God. You know, we were like, oh my God, yeah. And I think just showing others that you have that self-belief and that you know you you're ready to to do whatever it takes to kind of get there is is really inspiring yeah absolutely so i want to move into some of like the actual health and wellness stuff jordan we have a lot of people on here we talk a lot about body and body image and eating disorder. I know you kind of allude to uh, struggling with binge eating mm -hmm. at some point in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about like why binge eating happens? And because we haven't really gotten fully into like what binge eating is and how it happens. I feel like there's a lot of shame around that topic. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I personally had a very disordered relationship with food because of wrestling. So when I was 
cutting weight for four years straight and I have no one around me who knows what they're doing. It's I just follow what the upperclassmen do. So the upperclassmen tell me, okay, so you're not going to eat for 48 hours. I'm only going to suck on ice cubes and I'm going to make sure that I go and sleep in a trash bag to sweat out weight. It's like, cool. And, you know, they told me mm-hmm. to do that. So that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, do that for four years cutting weight. You end up developing a pretty bad relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Not to mention you end up like all of the wrestlers who cut weight would binge eat together which is very odd for binge eating. Most people binge eat alone privately. Yeah. So we were all doing it together after weigh-ins. That's really interesting. Which, which normalized it. It was like, oh, yeah. this is this is okay. This is what we're all doing. And uh, that was a, and this is something I see a lot of now. I get a lot of messages from wrestlers and anyone who competes in a sport that's weight class driven. So even uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but jockeys who, who ride horses or people in crew who ride the who uh, are in the boat? Um, it's weight class driven, and they're cutting a lot of weight, and they also have very disordered relationships with food very commonly. And also, of course, physique competitors, bodybuilders, bikini competitors, all of that mm-hmm. very disordered relationships with food. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of why binging happens, I should preface by saying there are many reasons. There, there are many possible reasons not least of which can include past traumas in your life that have literally nothing to do with body image. So I would want to put that out there because I'm not an expert in that realm. Mm-hmm. And I think for many people, the first step you should take if you're struggling with binge eating is talk to a therapist. I think it's like there are specialists who specialize in that and who can help you through that. And it's the best piece of advice. I'm not a therapist. I'm not qualified in that. So I think that should be the first place people go. Mm-hmm. There are other reasons why people binge that are often body image related and uh, just disordered relationship with food as a main reason. I think one of the main reasons people end up binge eating from that perspective is because they've been told that there are, are good and bad foods, right? That there's a, like, this is a good food, this is a bad food. And as soon as they know, they have this idea that this one food will take it a donut being a bad food, then as soon as they eat it, they feel like they messed up. They feel like they made a huge mistake. They made a vital error that is going to make them fat, it's going to ruin their body. It's going to make them ugly. And they start to shame and guilt themselves for it. Once they do that, then considering they think everything is screwed up and they messed up, well, cool. I might as well keep screwing up. I might as well have the pizza. I might as well have the chips. I might as well have the cake. Because in their mind, they know eventually they're going to start restricting again. So they might as well eat as much as they can in the meantime before they start restricting again. So that could be a night or it could be a week, it could be a while of binging and binging and binging before they get back on track. The issue is when they get back on track, they go back to the train of thought of good foods and bad foods. And when they're on track, they are completely eliminating any food that could possibly be considered bad, which then builds up the desire to binge again. And so the cycle continues. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, that really made it very easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, I've personally struggled with that in my life and I've always had such a difficult time explaining it to someone who hasn't experienced it. So I I think it's going to be really, really beneficial. Um, But something that had been more prevalent in my life too, and I think that people really appreciate about you is that you do say that it's acceptable to have fitness goals. There's nothing wrong with having fitness goals and it's all about how you feel and your approach and your intention and all of that. So how did you personally transition from having a difficult relationship with food to being able or feeling comfortable pursuing those fitness goals? That's a that's a really good question. I think um, for me, I never got to a point where the idea that the idea that looking a certain way was bad. I actually it's very, I think it's a relatively new thing that I've seen crop up, especially on Instagram and YouTube in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been very interesting to watch that world unfold and develop. Um, and it's, it's a shame. It's a shame because I think that movement started with good intent. 
I think that movement started with the intent to make everybody feel welcomed, everybody feel comfortable in their skin and in their body. And it turned into a group that initially was against shaming people for how they look and became a group of shaming people for what they wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, I was I was fortunate that I stopped binge eating because of the, the tactics that I used. So for example, I was able to stop binge eating because I stopped intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting is a wonderful tool for many people. It works very well. I think it's a great tool, but it's only a great tool if you can use it in a great and intelligent way, right? So I think a lot of people, they use intermittent fasting as a way to justify their binge eating, where they'll fast all day, try and save up all of their calories for night, they'll binge and then repeat that cycle. And eventually that becomes a very disordered relationship. So in that case, intermittent fasting was not working well for me. So I had to stop intermittent fasting. And as soon as I stopped intermittent fasting, I stopped binge eating and I haven't binged in like a decade. So for me, that was just the tactic that I used. I think to be candid and frank with you, yeah. I think people now, ironically, are in a much harder situation than I was in because social media now, there's, there's so much more judgment. There are so many different cults and groups and clans, and they all judge everyone else. Yep. Every group judges someone else for yep. what they do. And if you're not following what they say, then you're bad and you're wrong and you're, uh, you're a racist, you're misogynistic, you're fat shaming, you're everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. and if you don't do exactly what they say, then you're inherently in the wrong. And I think mm-hmm. it, thank God I didn't grow up in that time because I think I would be in a very, very difficult situation. Yeah. We talk, we talk about that a lot about, and at the end of the day, it's like you have to do what works for you, especially in this kind of space. Like, yeah everybody's bodies are different and especially your relationship to your body everybody is different you have to do what works for you that's definitely a wonderful point that you just articulated and i sort of want to hammer on it is the idea your relationship with your body is very different than everyone else's relationship with their body right Mm -hmm. this is something that i haven't heard any and i haven't articulated it that well either so i kudos to you on that and i'm definitely going to steal that yeah please it's all yours Super important because one of the arguments you'll hear people say is, well, my body's different. And they'll use this argument from the perspective of, let's say we're talking about fat loss and I'll say, well, calorie deficit's the only way to lose fat. They'll be like, well, my body's different. I'm like, well, yes, your body's different, but it doesn't change the fact that calorie deficit is the only way to lose fat. How you achieve the calorie deficit is entirely up to you and you need to do it in a way that works for you. Mm. But this is where what you just said is so vitally important is that your relationship with your body might dictate whether or not now is a good time to be in a calorie deficit. Mm. Your relationship with your body might dictate the appropriate way to be in a calorie deficit but it's the relationship that you have with your body that is the most important thing to understand Ooh, yes it sounds like that's going to be his quote of the episode (laughs) (laughs) absolutely we got it write it down write it down it's it's, i haven't heard anybody say that which says a lot because i do at least several podcasts a day and and this is the industry i've been in for a, a long time so for you to say that i just wanted to really hone in on it because it was wonderfully articulated and it's something that many people are not saying Thank you. Honestly, the only reason that like that a sentence like that even comes to my mind is because through this podcast, we're so lucky we've gotten to speak to so many people and hear everybody's different relationship and everybody's different inner workings of their mind. And it's such a blessing to 
host a podcast and really get to hear how people think. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, it's been like such a learning experience, been such a such a gift and an honor to be able to like learn from all these different people. But you kind of led me right into my next question, which is about calorie deficit. So for someone that does have a weight loss goal and is in a place where they can do that in a healthy way, what are some like easy tips to start doing that, going into a calorie deficit without super restricting? Yeah. So I think number one is if you want to be in a calorie deficit, I think the first thing you should do is you should start just by writing down everything you eat, like without necessarily even counting how many calories are in the food or tracking it and without taking anything out of your diet. Just start mm -hmm. writing down everything you're eating. That's it. Just for the sole purpose of being aware. I think this is really, really important because if you look in the research around people who struggle to both gain weight and struggle to lose weight, people who struggle to gain weight statistically underestimate how much they're eating. It's like yeah. we all have that friend who struggles to gain weight. They're like, oh, I'm so full. I'm eating so much. You go out to eat with them. They have one bite of a sandwich. They're like, all right, I'm done. I'm like, what do you mean? You have one bite. What are you yeah. talking about? Versus the people who struggle to lose weight statistically over, or they underestimate people, the people who struggle to gain weight overestimate it. Sorry, I misspoke. People who struggle to gain weight overestimate people who struggle to lose weight underestimate, underestimate. and uh, that's why it's so important to at least just be aware you have to be aware of how much you're eating so I think for me as a coach I see a lot of obstacles in people's way the obstacle of getting to the gym working out there's a lot of obstacles there in terms of what are you gonna wear how are you gonna feel confident and comfortable you don't know what exercises to do same thing with nutrition you have to shop for new food you don't know what food is right to buy all this other stuff you've never counted calories before you don't know what's good or bad all this stuff so for me it's like how can I reduce the obstacles as much as possible so before I tell you like to start counting your calories or start doing this just literally write on your phone or in a pen and paper everything you eat because from there guaranteed you will be surprised at everything you're putting in your mouth and from there you'll start to make changes naturally where you'll be like oh wow i didn't realize that i literally had four handfuls of peanut m&ms you'll think i had a few peanut m&ms but you won't realize you had four handfuls of it you won't you won't realize that you were walking around the house and like you just went in the fridge got a couple slices of cheese you won't realize that you used several uh servings of half and half in your coffee you won't realize all of these things that okay cool now you know your goal is weight loss and you know you need to be in a calorie deficit, which means eat less. So just by being aware of how much food you're eating, you track for 72 hours, you can then look at those lists and say, cool, I don't need this. I don't need that. And just start eliminating or reducing that way. Yeah, I love that. I think it's it's really great advice because I think often a lot of people believe they're aware in any aspect of their life. And at the end of the day, it's sometimes we can have this false perception of that awareness. And I think combining what you just said, honesty with yourself, whether you're on one end of the spectrum and honesty with, okay, am I am I being intentional in this way? Or is this discipline? Or is it obsession? And then the other end of things, which is, you know, am I being honest with and using a combination of like, knowledge in this area of nutrition to any extent and and honesty in in what I'm kind of having and, and I think combining all of those things sets you up for a really good and all-around healthy approach I agree 100% definitely so on that and what did you what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make when pursuing health and fitness goals I would say there are a lot I would say the biggest one tends to be overestimating how much they actually need to do like someone asked me uh, on my Instagram story the other day 
day. It blew me away. They were like, they go, is working out three days a week really better than none at all? And I was like, what (laughs) would ever prompt you to ask such a, and they put really in all caps as like they really needed to emphasize that word. Uh, I was like, what, what, why would you, of course, like something is always better than nothing, but not even, not even that three days of working out is a workout schedule. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> that's plenty. Three yeah. years a week of strength training, are, are you, that's remarkable. So I think a lot of people think they need to work out six, seven days a week. They need to eat 800 calories a day and they can only eat celery juice and whatever. It's like you can- All or nothing. You can really enjoy your life. You can really enjoy your favorite foods. Yeah. You can really get stronger without obsessing over everything. You can really achieve the body you want without it taking over every waking moment of your life. It It isn't and it shouldn't be something that completely you obsess over. And I yeah. think that people, it's, it's the binge purge mindset, right? It's like the same mm-hmm. thing. Why do people binge eat? They binge eat because they feel like they're doing something bad. So why do people work out seven days a week? They feel like that's the only way to do it. So then they miss one workout and they think they screwed up and then they just don't go to the gym anymore for another two months. It's like, well, hold on, where's the middle ground here? Mm -hmm. You can go three days a week and make tremendous progress. And I'd rather you go three days a week for three months straight than go seven days a week for two weeks and then not go for three months, right? It's like consistency is significantly better than trying to be perfect and then being inconsistent. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And I think that's really the the biggest thing that we've learned, not only through the people we've spoken with, through our own journeys, just all around that. It's it's like we're really taught to believe and we start to, to, to believe ourselves like, oh, the only way to do it is if you're only eating a very specific amount of things, only following a very specific structure. And something that I found so much joy in is and appreciate about the stuff that you share is you show the peanut M&Ms. You show, you know, stuff like that. You're like, yeah, I'm putting my hand in the jar, but you're also, you know, you're using a combination of exactly that knowledge and awareness and honesty with yourself. And also when it comes to like workouts, um, I found so much joy in being like, I don't need to follow one specific program in order to get, you know, what they're trying to sell me is their result. I could do a bunch of different things that I enjoy. Of course, if I'm trying to strengthen my arms and all I'm doing is running, you know, that is not particularly (laughs) going to give me that result. (laughs) But um, yeah, just like more flexibility and really just listening to what we said before, what works for you. Because if you're torturing yourself, it's it's just not the same. And what's going through our heads? I've noticed in my in my own journey, like I used to run and be like, okay, one more mile, one more mile. You have to fit into this dress. You have to do all those things. And I've found now that none of those thoughts are going through my head. It's all about, okay, yeah, you're getting strong. All that positive energy has such a different impact. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people, it's very in relation to this. A lot of people are like very goal oriented when it comes to what uh, nutrition and eating or food fitness and exercise and it's like okay when I reach this weight I'll be happy or when I you know achieve this strength goal I'll be happy uh how can we start shifting our mindset into viewing health and wellness and physical strength and nutrition as a lifestyle versus a goal-oriented process it's tough. I would say, I would say, honestly, I'm a big fan of, of a goal oriented process. I just think we need to shift our goals, mm. right? I think we need to a, a shift on what we're focusing on so intently. I mean, 
if you look at yourself in the mirror every single day and you're just like, Oh, I'm just like so fat or I just, I'm so ugly or whatever it is. It's like, you're, you're number one, your own harshest critic. It's going to be very difficult for you. I don't know anybody. I don't know a single person who looks at themselves in the mirror and is like, fuck, I love my body. How it looks. (laughs) Literally no one. Literally nobody. And this includes fitness models. This includes people that you see on the covers of magazines. Mm-hmm. I literally, I did a, a video, I think it was 2015, 2016. Uh, I called it the curse of the fitness model. And it was mm-hmm. a video that I basically spoke about a client that I had who was a high level fitness competitor, figure competitor, fitness model, who they had the worst body image you could ever imagine. They looked in the mirror, they thought they looked gross. They couldn't believe it. And like, this is very common, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, very common. Now, I don't think it's wrong or bad to have aesthetic based goals. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think that if we're looking at happiness and fulfillment as the goal, as like the ultimate goal in life, then strategically it makes sense to make other short term other short term focus goals. So for example, I prefer generally for people to focus on their performance as a goal rather than trying to reduce their love handles. Now, it doesn't mean they won't reduce their love handles. It doesn't mean they won't get more toned arms. It doesn't mean that won't happen, but it does mean that when they focus on a performance-based goal, now they can focus on what they're actually doing and what they actually have control over rather than something that is a very, very subjective view. And it's like, they can't really have much control over it. Like you can't, you don't have control over your love handles. Like you don't, you don't. Right. You do have control over your consistency in the gym. You do have mm-hmm. control over your consistency with your nutrition. You do have control over what you do in your workout. So if you want to improve your mile time, you start improving your mile time running three times a week. You also want to get your first chin up. You start really strength training your upper body. Boom. All of a sudden you're building muscle. You're improving your cardio. You're you're losing fat. You're eating in a calorie deficit and your love handles go. But you're probably even more happy because you've improved your physical fitness. You can run a mile time over a minute faster than you did before. You got mm-hmm. your first three chin-ups. You just feel stronger and more empowered. And that be, it's because you chased a physical goal, something that your body could do that you had control over rather than just obsessing over those love handles. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was that. such a great way to put it. And you yeah. keep mentioning consistency. And I think it's so fascinating that so many of us fall into this trap where it's like, oh, well, I, I didn't go this day. I might as well give up. When it's like, you will still get to that goal. Like that one day, those two, that doesn't... It literally could mean absolutely nothing throughout the course of your journey because you actually quote unquote fail if you stop. You don't, you don't, not if you miss a few days and then continue to go. And it's something that we repeat is progress is progress as long as you don't give up. And that's really, it sounds so simple, but it's something that I feel like so many people struggle with fully understanding. So being that we've talked a little bit about exercise, out of curiosity, are there, would you say, there are negative effects with taking like protein supplements or pre-workout over a long period of time? If so, or if not, what should people look for in these type of products, would you say? And are, you know, natural or organic things better? or does it not really matter? So you're talking about protein and pre-workout or just pre-workout? We could do both. both. Break it up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll start off with protein because it's the easier one. Yeah. Uh, There's there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's totally fine. Protein is, it's just another way of getting protein in your diet. So if you, the, the major aspect of protein powders is it's just very convenient mm-hmm. and it's actually very inexpensive per gram of protein. For me, if I haven't gotten enough protein in the day and it's 10 o'clock at night, I would way rather just quickly take a protein shake than mm-hmm. eat a chicken breast. It's just like <laughs> yeah, just easier. significantly easier <laughs> and more convenient. Um, 
if I want to make sure I get my protein in earlier in the day and like this is what I did today. I had, I had some waffles, I had two waffles and 40 grams of protein and protein shakes, which like it came out to like 400 calories, like not that much, Mm -hmm. super filling, Mm -hmm. but like now I've got 40 grams of protein in and I got to enjoy the waffles. Whereas I might not have been able to have the waffles if I had other stuff with it. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's just, it's a very convenient, relatively low calorie tasty way to get your protein in. I think the majority of your protein should come from whole foods. I just Mm -hmm. generally think it's a better idea rather than relying on them. Whether it's chicken, turkey, fish, salmon, lobster, shrimp, Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, whatever. Like I think it's generally better to get it from whole foods, but as a, as a supplement to your diet, not a problem at all. Pre-workout, this is a interesting topic. So there's nothing, I won't say there's anything inherently wrong with it. The major thing that I see as a potential issue is people becoming reliant on it mm-hmm. and feeling as though if they can't use it or they don't have access to it, then they're automatically going to have a bad workout. So for me, and this is more of my competitor mindset, my like competitive powerlifter, wrestler, jujitsu, like I'm very focused on my performance in the gym. It's like my the most important thing to me. So the last thing I want is for somebody to feel like they can't work out or can't have a good workout without a certain supplement because that's Mm -hmm. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, like generally, I just... I have some coffee before, like that's my pre-workout. So a little bit of caffeine is plenty. If I'm going to use pre-workout, generally I'll wait until like a competition so I can really get amped up before the competition. But even then I'm not a huge fan of it just for me personally. If you're a, I know I have my best friend in the world, Mike Vicanti, he uses pre-workout basically before every workout and it's great, no problem. And he loves it and it's it doesn't change anything. And if he can't have it, it's not a big deal. The issue I have is, the potential of thinking that because you might not have had it, whether you're on vacation, you're traveling, you didn't want to spend the money on it this month, that all of a sudden you think like that you're not going to have a good workout because that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Speaking of products, we invest, not we personally, but we as a society invest, um, and also we personally, in a (laughs) lot of, you know, pails, creams, whatever their juices, you know, green juices, smoothies, uh, all of the above, supplements. Waste trainers. Are we, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, are we wasting our money, number one? And two, if we're going to spend money on those kind of things, what are, what should we be spending our money on? Yeah, so things like waist trainers, sweat wraps, vibrating belts, all that nonsense is just fucking nonsense. Uh, it's just like, it's a waste <laughs> of money. It, not because I don't like them, but because they literally do not work. Uh, Good to I mean, know. I've seen something recently where people have been there's this like uh, free cold freeze therapy or something where like mm-hmm. literally you go into this place and they do some type of like surgical ish procedure where they freeze the fat off of you. Oh, uh, oh, like Ky- Kybella or like whatever is it one of those? It's uh, I, don't, I don't even. I've know. definitely seen seen that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is not only is it not supported by the scientific literature, but it's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like. <laughs> what are you doing? Absolutely not. It, it doesn't work and it's probably going to do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. And I see like the, the, on the website, cause I go, I'll click the ad. I want to see what they're saying. Like oh, it's yeah. like the recovery time that it takes to recover from it. I'm like, what? You have like a, a you probably could have lost that fat in that recovery time. <laughs> insane. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that stuff is nonsense. Um, in terms of like smoothies or green juices or whatever, I think that, or apple cider vinegar, whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, 
none of it will burn fat. None of it burn. The only way to lose fat is to be in a calorie deficit, regardless of how you want to do it. Now, if you want to include celery juice in your diet while you're in a calorie deficit, cool, go for it. I think it tastes like urine, but whatever. <laughs> That's just me personally. So if you like celery juice, I'm not going to say no. I think you'll probably get more benefits from eating the celery as opposed to drinking it. Mm -hmm. But who am I to judge based on what you eat? If you want to eat celery juice, go for it. If you want to choke down apple cider vinegar and have it burn your throat, go for it. I personally don't get care, but it's not going to help you burn fat. Cool. Yes. Good to know. Good so many people are going to be mind blown. <laughs> yeah. um, so like, what? Yeah. I'm like, now I can toss this in the garbage and then stop torturing myself. Um, so Jordan, luckily there's a lot of talk around body image for women more so than in the past nowadays. A lot of people are being more vulnerable and open and that's a lot of what we do here. And maybe we're wrong on this front, but we don't feel like there's as much talk about this for men. So how do you think we can play a role in kind of shaping standards or conversations for men as well in this space? You know, that's a really good question. And um I'm going to take sort of like a, a hard stance on this and maybe I'll regret it later, but I'm going to say this right now because I think it's important. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's your responsibility. I think it's men's responsibility. Like, great. I love that you're bringing it up. And I think just by bringing it up, you're doing your part. You've brought it up, but it's up to the men to talk about it. It's yeah. like I said the other day, I'm having my, I had my first appointment with a therapist the other day. Yeah. It's like, and a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's a stigma for men da, da, da. and maybe it is, but it's my responsibility to fucking talk about it. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to like say like, okay, men talk about it. Like that's yeah. happened. And you just did your job by bringing it up. So mm -hmm. now it's men's responsibility to say, Hey, I have a poor relationship with food. Hey, I have uh, I have a bad relationship with my body image, whatever it is. So just by you bringing it up, you've done your job and, and make, make an open, safe place for sure. But now it's men's responsibility to, to say, Hey, I've got this fucking problem. Let's talk about it. Wow. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that answer. And I mean, we see that like, I mean, Brennan and I follow a lot of women in this space that have dedicated their platforms to talking about this. So it would be cool. I mean, I'm sure there probably are a few out there and I don't know about them, but it would be cool we to see follow, yeah. <laughs> like uh, men, you know, come forward in this space and dedicate their platforms to this space. And I think that, you know, what we see by the people we follow is that opening up allows other people to say me too. And, you yeah. know, so I think that that would be really cool. Cool. Yes, like definitely. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree completely. I think, uh, it, I think it works both ways. I think whether it's men or women, whatever it is, if you want to make it less of a stigma, then it's your responsibility to talk about it. Yeah, just, really cool. you've got to take the responsibility. Yeah. Um, speaking of your first therapist appointment, congratulations, number one. We're, 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 we are we love therapy over here. Congratulations, she says. Congratulations. Um, Julia. It's a great no, thing. It's true. It's true. It's Everybody should go to therapy. Um, <laughs> but speaking of therapy, why is it so important to exercise our minds as well as our bodies? And how is our mental health related to our physical health and vice versa? It's a wonderful question. And I'm definitely not going to purport to be an expert on this. I literally just had my first therapist appointment on Monday. <laughs> just like introduced myself. So like I'm not like an expert yeah. on therapy or anything. He's got it. He doesn't need to go back. <laughs> um, you know, in my experience, therapy is <laughs> one fucking session. Um, I think that being said, through coaching for the last 15 years or whatever, like I work – I 
it's funny. There are a lot of memes that go around about coaching. Like, this is what people think we do. This is what my parents think I do. This is what my friends think I do. This is what like we really do. And it's like a personal trainer's image of like just actually being a therapist, listening to their clients. And that's a large part of what being a coach is, just being a soundboard, a non-judgmental, impartial person to talk to and to have someone to, to listen to you. And I think a lot of people, most people, all people, in whatever circumstance they're in their life, they don't feel like they have someone that they can just be fully honest with and that they can let their emotions out, talk about how they're feeling, uh, be honest to themselves about where they can improve. I think it's a, a really important part of mental health is the idea of stop blaming everything and everyone around you and taking the responsibility for yourself. I think mm -hmm. in my experience, like speaking with like therapists just about their job is a really good therapist is going to make the person think about what they can have control over, what they can take control over, what they do have control over, rather than looking at everything around them and being like, well, I don't have control over that. I don't have control over that. It's that person's fault. This isn't my fault. Therapy is generally about what can you control? How can you make your life better? And, um, I think when you start focusing on that, now you're going to start realizing, cool, so how can I apply that to fitness? Well, how can I make my life better? I can get in control of what I'm eating. I can get in better control of my exercise habits. I can make my bed every day, whatever it is. You can do one thing every day to get better. And for me right now, I think one of the reasons that I'm, I'm one of the things I'm looking forward to in therapy is to be better at being honest and taking responsibility. And the more that I think we can do that as individuals, the better we get as a society. I love that. Yeah. I really Me agree. too. Me too. Um, so kind of continuing on that mental health sector, a lot of individuals in like the food freedom, anti-diet space talk about ditching the scale forever um, to protect their mental health. So you still use a scale every day. We watch it on your stories <laughs> to measure your average progress. And it's actually really interesting. So how do you do this in a way that, I guess, isn't pulling to your mental health and tell us your whole philosophy on that because you'll say it better than we will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, I'm very interested in this. Um, I've never understood the idea behind telling people not to weigh yourself or to avoid it. This makes zero sense if you actually look at any research behind behavioral psychology. If someone is scared of something, the last thing you should do is tell them to avoid it because all that does is make it more scary, more fearful. It's like the, that movement will always say things like, the scale doesn't matter. It's just a piece of plastic or metal or whatever it is. I'm like, cool. So if it doesn't matter, you should be able to step on it without much of an issue, right? They're like, well, you're not defined by the scale. And I'm always like, yeah, that's right. You're also not defined by how much money you make, but do you keep track of your finances? You're also not defined by how much weight you're deadlifting in the gym, but do you keep track of your strength increases? It's like, you're just keeping track of data. You keep track of your finances. You keep track of your expenses. You keep track of what you lifted last year, last month, last week, and today. Not because however much weight you can bench press defines you, but because it's important to have that data so you can keep track of your progress over time. Period. End of story. If you're not defined by the scale, then you should be able to step on it without defining yourself by that number. So for me, I look at this like uh, exposure therapy, right? Mm -hmm. If let's say someone is scared of spiders, right? What is exposure therapy? Well, first you have someone who's scared of spiders. So maybe they go into their first appointment and they're like, okay, cool. In the building next door in a cage is a spider. And they say that there's like, cool, that's number one. Then the next appointment they come in like, okay, cool. In this building, in a cage, you'll never see it is a spider. Cool. Next appointment in the room next to us, there's a spider. Mm -hmm. And in the next appointment in our room right now, 
There's a spider in a cage covered. You can't see it. Next appointment, they take the cover off. You can see the spider in the cage. Then the next appointment, cool. Now the spider's in the cage right next to you. Then the next appointment, the spider's out of the cage, but whatever it is, to the point where you could hold the spider and you're no longer scared of it. That's exposure mm-hmm. therapy. This is very basic one-on-one stuff. It's not complex. Yeah. So why in the hell would we ever tell people, oh, you're scared of the scale? Never step on it. Because all that's doing is making it more scary, more out of control. And when you do step on it, whether it's at the doctor's office or you just try it one time, you're going to flip a shit. Mm -hmm. You should get people to step on it as consistently as possible so that when they do step on it, they realize it means literally nothing about who they are as a person. It doesn't define them. It means nothing other than here's a data point for today. Yeah. I love the way you explain it seriously, because I think that your way of saying is is literally proving like it doesn't define you. It's about having like a sense of neutrality around it, which is something that I've really learned through watching what you share. Um, And I kind of have a question off of that with a lot of what people say about weight and the way weight is distributed and a lot of people, you know, that muscle weighs more than fat and all that stuff. If you're actively engaging in strength training, um, but you are in a calorie deficit, you would say that your weight will still trend downward? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Not necessarily as fast as people want, but we have to remember people oftentimes what they want is irrational and not based on logic or science. Like people will be like, I've only lost four pounds in the last eight weeks. So they're like, what's, what's the problem with that? They're like, right, well, that's good. They're like, yeah. well, Janice lost eight pounds. I'm like, why the fuck do you care what Janice did? <laughs> like, number one, do you know what I she's doing? Maybe she's doing too much. Maybe she's eating way too little. She's exercising mm-hmm. too much. Maybe she has a lot more body fat to lose. Maybe she's in a different, whatever it is. You have no mm-hmm. idea what's going on. It's like losing four pounds in eight weeks, number one, is a tremendous amount of progress. Mm-hmm. Even if you lost one pound in eight weeks, progress is progress. Let's chill the fuck out. Not to mention, I always ask like, why is that bad? Why is four pounds in eight weeks bad? I don't know. Cool. So you don't fucking know. So why are you mad about it? Yeah. Ridiculous. Keep going. People are like, well, they're upset about how much weight they're losing. And I'm like, listen, if you lost one pound a week, every week for a whole year, that'd be 52 pounds. You know, not everyone has to lose 52 pounds. Even if you do two years, it's 104 pounds. It's a lot of fucking weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if you think this is going to happen in a week or two weeks or three weeks? This is why I hate the word plateau. People get really, oh, I'm in a plateau. No, you're not. Yeah. You're just in the process. Like you're in a plateau because you think for whatever fucked up reason, you're supposed to be going faster than this. Mm-hmm. You're not. Like mm-hmm. you made that up in your head. Mm-hmm. Keep going. That's it. Yeah. Definitely. I feel like people believe, and I believe this for so long, that there's this like magical place where once you lose whatever set number of of pounds, if if that's even accurate, once you reach that place that like, you'll never have to worry about, you know, your, your health or wellness, you'll never have to eat a vegetable again. And I think that's a big piece of it is why we're so extreme. You'll never have to eat a vegetable again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, but I feel like that's a big piece in, in driving people to want to achieve something so extremely and so quickly is because we have this idea that that, that place exists <laughs> um, when it's it's really not about that. So yeah. you're exactly right. And, and they make it uh, they make it a rush and they make it like there's this end date, like mm-hmm. this, like there's, yes. a, like there's a finish line. Like once mm-hmm. I get here. I'll be happy. Once I get here, and this actually figure competitors, fitness competitors, bodybuilders, they do this all the time. It's really Mm -hmm. bad. It's one of the main examples I use to say why you shouldn't have a day by which you need to weigh a certain amount is, let's say they'll do like a, 
they, they're doing a 16 week prep for their competition. They'll restrict everything for those 16 weeks and they, they make a list of all the stuff they're going to binge on mm. once it's over. Like wow. this, this is very common. Like you can yeah. look in bodybuilders, physique, they go look at any competitive bodybuilder or physique competitor, bikini competitors, Instagram page mm. and look at the pictures of them after they competed. They're all binging on burgers and fries and donuts and pizzas and all this stuff right after. They're still, mm. they still have the fake, the fake spray tan on all that stuff. And they spent <laughs> months waiting for this one day to binge and they'll gain 20, 30 pounds in a couple of days. And again, it's not all fat, but they're, they're binging for days, weeks, months straight because they just restricted for that long for that one singular day. That's why when I I don't do much one-on-one coaching anymore, but when I was doing one-on-one coaching earlier on in my career, I used to have like a a 90 day program. It's like, we'll do it for 90 days. I stopped doing that because I realized people would join for 90 days thinking, cool, so I'm going to be perfect for 90 days. I'm going to be done. I was like, this is Mm -hmm. not what I want. Mm -hmm. So I switched it to a minimum commitment of six months, which Mm -hmm. fewer people signed on for that. It's a longer commitment, but at least when you have a minimum commitment as opposed to a 60 day, 90 day plan, now it becomes more of a lifestyle that they're going through and you can teach them throughout that process rather than say, Hey, be perfect for 90 days, get great transformation pictures, then regain it all once it's all over. I'd rather, you know, there is no finish line. Mm -hmm. This is a forever thing keep going. You're not going to be happy randomly one day because your scale says whatever weight you want it to say. In fact, you're probably going to be more upset because you're going to step on the scale, be super happy that you hit the number, look at yourself in the mirror and still not like how you look. It's going to be more discouraging. So I'd rather you learn to love your body for what it can do. And when you can do that, then you'll be more consistent rather than focusing on, okay, well, I need to lose another 0.7 pounds before I'm allowed to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. that. And and just to clarify, I keep saying people think, people think. I thought all of this for like probably the first 23 years of my life. So like, (laughs) (laughs) for real. And I think Jordan, if you guys don't follow him on Instagram yet, he is so realistic about how all of this goes. I think especially when anyone is undergoing any type of, you know, health and wellness journey, whatever we want to call it, people are very like taken back by numbers and they're like, oh, well, you lost this amount of weight in this amount of time. And I feel like Jordan puts it in a very realistic perspective. Like I used to go around being like, yes, I lost, you know, 40 pounds in, in four months. And I think about it now and I'm like, that's, that's like a lot and it didn't really work out that's a lot it's a lot but i genuinely believed at the time that it was normal and it was the way it was supposed to be and i feel like your level of honesty with your followers not only makes people feel less alone but it makes them feel like they're not i guess failing (laughs) um so anyway um what piece of advice would you have for someone who has healed their relationship with food and body and feels a sense of guilt for having physical fitness goals based on the like anti-diet food freedom type of space that makes sense. Could you just clarify for me? They, they feel yeah. guilty about what? About, I guess, pursuing fitness goals after healing their relationship with food and body. So like they, they, they've healed their relationship with food and now they have mm-hmm. goals aesthetic based. Yes, exactly. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say fuck anyone who says you're bad for that. Like very simply, like anyone who tells you that, like, I mean, if your goal is to murder and steal, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> But if your goal, if you have a very healthy relationship with food, you've worked your ass off to help heal your relationship with food, who the hell is anybody to tell you that you can't have a goal that's based on how you look? Like, screw off. You can, whatever goal you want, you're welcome to go for. It's obviously easier said than done. Like, Mm -hmm. I think one thing a lot of people say is like, well, don't care what other people think. Of course, we're going to care what other people think. We're humans. We all care what other people think. It's if you feel good when someone gives you a compliment, you care what other people think. 
and so a lot of people are like, well, I don't care what other people think. I'm like, if I told you that you're a, like a very kind person, you're very smart, you're very intelligent and you feel better about yourself because of it, you care. Right. So it works both ways. The, the goal isn't not to care. I think that's being a, a narcissist or a psychopath, whatever you want to call it. Like you don't want to not care. You just want, you don't want what someone else thinks about you to prevent you from doing what you want to do and from what you know is right. So if you've healed your relationship with food, you've put in the work and you're doing all that for yourself. And then you're like, you know what? Like I want, I want a six pack. I want toned arms. I want whatever it is. Don't let anybody tell you that's bad. Like you go for it and you fucking do it. Love that. Jordan, we, you, you're incredible. We just have a couple more questions for you. We know you're using up a lot of your time. Um, do you have any advice for someone who's having a hard time finding the motivation to work out? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Uh, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, and anyone who says otherwise is either, uh, either they really enjoy working out so it's easy for them uh, or they're just lying. It's, it's very difficult. It's, and everyone struggles with it at some point in their life. So I think we have to know that from the beginning because I think a lot of people, it's where we were talking earlier, that like people feel alone because they're like, well, I don't feel motivated. And they go on Instagram and they see all these like workout motivation hashtags. Like, well, everyone else is motivated, but I'm not. It make, feels worse for them. There's a reason why this industry is like a $20 billion a year industry. It's because most people are not motivated to work out and most people are not happy with how their body looks. So you're not alone. That being said, when we're talking about motivation, we have to understand how to actually get motivated. And this is one of the most common questions. They, oh, how do I get motivated? How do I get motivated? And people ask me this on my Instagram Q&As all the time. I'm always like, listen, it's, you're definitely not going to find the fucking answer on Instagram. I promise you that. But <laughs> a lot of people just expect to randomly stumble upon motivation. They're on their couch. They're in their bed. They're whatever. They're just waiting to find motivation. And that will not ever happen. That's not how it works. The only way to get motivated is to first take action, right? So we, I have this thing, I call it Dumbledore's loop, all right? So a lot of people think of, of motivation as starting with motivation. From motivation, you take action. From action, then you get the results. And from those results, then you get more motivated. That's not how it works. It's close, but there's one switch we need to make. It doesn't start with motivation. It starts with action. Dumbledore's loop begins with action first. You have to take action even and especially when you don't want to do it. From that action, then you get results. From those results, then you get motivated to take more action. That's how it works. So from here, it, it's, it's motivating in and of itself just to know that you won't always be motivated. And so from here, the question is, well, what should I do? This is why my number one recommendation for anybody struggling with motivation is go on a five-minute walk. Just go on a five minute walk. It doesn't, if you just say like, there can be friction with that, but I just want to remove as many obstacles as possible. If I say you are required to go to the gym and deadlift, that's going to be a big obstacle that a lot of people are not going to overcome. So if I can say, hey, go on a five minute walk and then that five minute walk turns into a 30 minute walk, I'm a very happy coach, right? Because once you, that's the hardest part is just starting. And once you get going, then you get more motivated, right? So for me, it's just take the action, no matter how small, it will get bigger. That sounded like a sexual innuendo, but. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what he meant by it. Sorry, just <laughs> <No>. face value. <laughs> Incredible. Um, Jordan, would you share with us a little bit about your inner circle for our listeners that are interested in knowing what that is? So I'll say this. It's my membership site for fitness if you want workouts, nutrition, but I'm not even going to go into detail on it. Do not yeah. buy it. Don't buy it if like you don't, if this is your first time hearing me. Go look at my other free content. Get as much out of my content for free as you can. If you decide at some point you want to join, amazing. If not, that's fine too. 
Cool. Jordan, do you have any daily practices, rituals, or routines that you do every day? Um, I try to make my bed every morning. My girlfriend often beats me to it, which <laughs> is like frustrates me, but also makes me happy because I don't have to make it. Um, <laughs> I try and get eight to 10,000 steps in a day. I try to drink water every time before I eat something. So if I'm going to have a meal, I try and have at least one glass of water before that. I would say make my bed. I floss. This is actually a big one. I remember when I was in high school, I the book by Dan Never Let Go. I think one of the best pieces of advice he gave in that book was if if you don't floss every day, then you shouldn't own a business. Uh, and it was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, mainly because it's like it takes two minutes or less of your time mm-hmm. and you can't even fucking floss. Mm-hmm. So floss every day. Um, and it's, it's those little flossing, making my bed, getting my steps in. It's those little things that keep more structure and habits throughout my day that help shape my day. And this is sort of what we were talking about earlier. People think they need to do so much. It's, you don't need to do that much. It's about making these small little changes consistently that add up to really, like you're, if we look at your day as a glob of clay or a glob of Play-Doh, whatever it is, and you strategically put, wake up, make your bed, floss every day, get 10,000 steps in, drink water before every meal, you're molding your blog, blog, glob of Play-Doh into a very healthy looking day. Right. And that's solely because of these very small, relatively easy things to do. And the more you can do that with your glob of clay, the easier it is to make it actually something that consistently is very, very effective. I love that analogy. Yeah, that's really cool. Jordan, you have been unbelievable. We can't thank you enough for answering all our nitty gritty questions. (laughs) We just have two little things to ask you before we let you go. As you're you're getting very close to 30, if you could look back on your 20s, if you could tell tell your 20s year old self one thing what would it be oh man i'm almost 30 that's crazy um, <laughs> sorry to put you in that <laughs> <laughs> how old are you two 24 25 okay got it okay um uh you know i'll tell you where my mind goes but i'm not my mind for some reason goes to the whole like ah listen like enjoy life don't necessarily take it so seriously but uh I, I, I don't want to say that because I'm really glad that I took it as seriously as I did and I did what I did because if I didn't, then I wouldn't have what I have. The advice is going to be different for every person, right? For every, every person is different. Every person's relationship with themselves, with their family is different. For me, I think the right decision was to go absolutely all in on what I loved and be obsessive about it, like be unhealthily obsessive about it. And I wouldn't recommend it to anyone just blanket statement wise, because I don't think that's for everybody. But speaking from my own personal experience about me, I think being outrageously obsessive, focusing on myself, building my own brand, my own business, focusing on me was the best thing I could have done in my 20s. Because I know a lot of people who didn't do that and they regret it. They did what they thought they were supposed to do. They did, they did things to please their parents, please their friends, please their significant others, rather than doing what they loved. So for me, I would, I would say just don't feel bad about being selfish. I love that. Love it. And our last question is where can people find you? I would say uh, I'm in my own podcast, the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast, Instagram. If you Google my name, Jordan, S-Y-A-T-T, then you'll find a lot. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And we'll link Jordan podcast we'll link his instagram so you guys can follow him and get even more from him than he gave to us he's this has been really really cool jordan thank you so much you're just awesome this has been a pleasure you're both wonderful hosts so thank you for having me 
Thank oh, you. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.